chapter 2, verse 14 through 26, what Martin Luther called the epistle of straw. And uh, Pastor J.D. asked me to preach, and I thought, well, this is a tough one. Let's preach on this one. And it, it kind of goes where he's headed. So um, I think you'll, you'll enjoy it today, and you'll probably get a little anxiety during the service this morning. So um, one more announcement. There is a, back there, there is a clipboard. Um, the youth, we do snacks at the youth, and, and um, if, if you're a snack person, don't mind making snacks or, or like to buy snacks, um, the youth group, um, it, and it's been a tradition, people just sign up and bring snacks. There's about 20, 25 students, about 25, 28 people total, and um, if you'd be willing to sign up and take a week, um, we'll send out a reminder to you, but that's one way we like to bless the youth of the church and show them, hey, we love you guys and we want to provide some treats for you. So uh, make sure after the service to check that out. You might want to write that in your bulletin because you'll be so convicted by the sermon, sermon I'm sure, that you'll forget all about it. <laughs> um, but speaking of bulletin, in your bulletin there are some notes and I put some questions in there. Some I will address today, some I won't address today, um, but that's a great place to take notes. Um, sometimes when I'm listening to a sermon, uh, I'll get convicted on something or be reminded of something, usually spiritual, sometimes the Bears game. Um, and then I write notes. You know, man, I feel like the Lord's really laying on this, um, laying this on my heart, and I'll go and deal with it later during the week during my personal devotion time. So I want to encourage you guys to do that. Take some notes. Um, use that paper uh, to your advantage. That's, that's to bless you guys. So let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, you are holy, holy, holy. You are sinless. There is no shade on you. You are not tempted by sin, nor can you be tempted by sin. You are pure and separate from it completely. You are good. You are loving. You are wise. Father, help us to trust you this morning and rest, not only in your holiness, because that would cause fear, but rest in your loving kindness towards us, even though we are unholy uh, so often. Holy in Christ, but also we know our struggles are always before us, Lord. Father, I pray this morning that you would open up our minds and our eyes and our hearts to your word. May we walk in your truth today. Uh, help me to encourage the saints here this morning. Father, I pray that today we would walk out of here with a deeper love for you and a deeper desire to follow you. Father, I pray for those this morning that are grieving. I pray that your, uh, your, your hand of love would be sensed today and the peace that comes through your spirit would, would be sensed by them today, Lord. And they'd be able to cry out to you without embarrassment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so, oh, Dan, I forgot my illustration here already. I got busy talking and forgot. Eventually we'll need a volunteer, so pray if that's the Lord's will for your life. Um, <laughs> otherwise I'll pick someone out. Um, we're talking about a, our sermon today is Faith Works. 
And uh, here's a little cartoon. You remember, anybody ever do this thing called the trust fall before? Raise your hand if you've done the trust fall. That's not what I'm going to ask you to volunteer for. But thanks for volunteering. You can put your hands up. Um, the trust fall, we've done it in youth group. And we've done it here in youth group. And that's a thing where, if you don't know what it is, it's where you stand up on something and you just trust that your peers, your teenage peers typically, are going to catch you. You know, I've seen the trust fall where um, they decide they're going to be funny and let go of the person when they fall from a ladder. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't have faith in those guys anymore, you know. Um, you know, we used to climb up this, this huge ladder like four feet high and we'd fall backwards and we would have people that would catch us. And I've seen little people do it. I've seen 350-pound men do it. And there's teenagers back there. I've seen a bunch. Of, if you do it right, the person's safe. But if you've done the trust fall before, there's always that thought of, I hope they like me. <laughs> you know, um, I, Like I said, I've only seen one person fall um, because they thought it'd be funny to let the person fall on the ground. So, um, But that's kind of the trust fall. That's kind of the topic um, that we're talking about today is faith and trust. And um, when I was a kid, I used to, I don't know if you've done this, I used to love to jump into my dad's arms. Uh, I was, I would jump, oh, we had about eight or nine stairs at our house, and my dad would walk. As soon as I heard my dad open the door, I was airborne. And I would scream, Geronimo. Oftentimes, he was trying to get his key out of the door, and I was like going 75 miles an hour airborne, like a, like an army ranger, you know, just flying in the air. He would turn around, poof, I was right there. And uh, my kids, when they were little, I used to love to let them jump off the side of the pool and I would catch them, you know, right? Or I would just let you drown and then, and then just jump to the side, you'll be And, um, you know, children have this trust in their dad that their dad's going to catch them uh, when they fall. Um, some people, particularly uh, Hindus, we were in South America on a mission trip, and some, some Hindus, we would teach them about believing in Jesus. And, we would, and they would say, of course I believe in Jesus, because maybe he could help me too. But what they wouldn't do, we found, is they wouldn't deny their other gods. They would never believe in Jesus alone. So they would say something like, I would like to ditch these other gods, but what if perchance... Jesus is insufficient to rescue me. You know, in Christianity, uh, it is Jesus alone that saves us. We need to say to the other gods, get lost. My trust is in Jesus. Or to these other things like your works, or baptism, or confession, or uh, giving a certain amount of money. To All that stuff's got to go by the wayside. Not that those things are wrong, but as far as what saves us, it is Jesus and him alone that saves us. Uh, but what happens is a lot of people, they're afraid to get rid of these other things because what if perhaps Jesus is insufficient to save me? So we're going to look at that this morning. I want to I'm look at the word faith, at the word faith with you. Here's a Greek word. Uh, it's pistis is the Greek word. It is a noun. So when we go through James chapter 2 this morning, faith here is a noun. It is a belief or a trust or a confidence, a fidelity or a conviction. It is a divine persuasion. Faith is always from God, 
He is the initiator of faith and not generated by us. Faith is given. It's imparted. It is a gift to us. Somehow in our in our in our uh, society and and in, in religious circles, this word has deteriorated into an emotion. I just have faith, or a religious general, like a religious alignment, or in this passage, what James, the brother of Jesus, is discussing here, is it's something that you believe to be true, but you're not resting in it necessarily. Um, true faith goes further than just belief that something is true. True faith is to place your faith in something. The key word here is in. Um, it is always received from God, and it is not generated from us. I've been in prayer circle. I, I don't know if I've shared this before. Uh, there was a prayer meeting I was in once for healing for a couple guys, and um, they were trying to do their Wonder Twins power of faith activate, and they were trying to muster faith, and you could see their faith energy, boom, the person's healed. And, and so they're praying, Lord, you know, heal the person. And, um, and I prayed, Lord, if it's your will, I pray that you would heal this person. I was shocked that after the meeting, these people came up to me, and they said, you ruined the whole thing. I said, what do you mean? I just prayed God's will. If God wanted to heal me, heal him. I, I asked God to heal him. Well, you said, if it's your will, you doubted the Lord. And you were in the whole thing. Their belief was that you had to come somehow muster your faith, kind of like the Ghostbusters. You got to get those beams and blast, you know, blast disbelief, whatever the deal is. Um, I'm like, where, where does that come from? Uh, faith is given by God. It's not like God like sees enough energy of faith coming from us and then decides to do something. You know, faith is a trust in God that He is willing or can do something. Um, the funny thing is, both of the people that were at the prayer meeting were healed that night. So, <laughs> so banana, nana, boo boo, I guess, on that one. Um, a couple authors here, W.H. Uh, Griffith um, says this: Faith always presupposes revelation. Um, faith is always a response to a divine revelation. Another author, Hendrickson, says this: Faith, both in its initiation and every step of the way, is spirit. Given. Faith is God given. Faith precedes works and is not something merely deduced by reasoning, by reason of existing. And then Leon Morris says this faith is always a gift of God. In Mark 9, verse 24, there was a man uh, who wanted healing. And he said to Jesus something amazing. And I've prayed this many times. He said, Jesus, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. In other words, I want to believe this, but I'm struggling with this. Please help me. I love that request of Jesus. I've prayed that many times. Lord, I really want to believe. I really want to do what you want me to do. Please help me to do what you want me to do. Faith is the divinely given conviction of things unseen. J.D. eventually is going to get into Hebrews 11 and describes, J.D., I'm probably stealing your thunder here with what faith is. Um, it is a divinely given conviction of things unseen. God says it, and because God is holy and because God is good, I will trust him 
even if it doesn't make any sense. And that's what faith is. Do you ever see the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade? I think I got a picture of it here. There's Indiana Jones's feet, the feet of Harrison Ford right there. And uh, um, in, in The Last Crusade, he comes to a point near the end of the movie where he comes to a cliff, and he's trying to get the Holy Grail from Monty Python. And um, so he has to walk across this huge ravine. And how do you do it? Well, there's this bridge of faith there. And in order to cross, you have to be a faithful person, which watching it as a Christian, I'm like, what is Harrison Ford's theology? Is he really a faithful person? Is he going to fall? You know. Um, but if you're a true believer, you can take that step of faith, and when you put all your trust in it, when you lean forward, and you, you'll touch that invisible bridge, and then that bridge will appear, and then you can cross. But he had to cross it because his, I think it was his dad was dying, and he had to go get the you know, the chemicals or the right thing in order to save his dad's life. So in this movie, he's standing on the edge of his cliff, and he has to put his faith in action. He, you know, he might have believed, you know, standing there, will this, will this actually happen? Yeah, I believe it'll happen, but it's not until he actually puts his weight forward that that belief was really alive, I guess. So anyhow, in the movie, he takes that step forward, and the bridge appears, and of course, Indiana Jones saves the day. But that's kind of like the faith we're talking about in James chapter 2 this morning. Faith is trusting Jesus' word enough to get out of the boat and walk on water. If Jesus called you to walk on the water, you could believe all day long that it would work. But it's really not faith until you actually get your little piggies out of that boat and walk on the Sea of Galilee to him, right? See what I'm saying here? Um Rich Mullins. Ever hear of Rich Mullins before? Anybody hear of Rich Mullins? He's a, did you know he's a Hoosier? Did you know that? Yeah. And uh, he has a song, called, and the lyrics go a little bit like this. It's about as useless as a screen door on his, anybody ever hear this song before? Man, not many, not many hippie Christians out here. It's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. Faith without works, babe, it just ain't happening. I'm going to stop there. Um, that was my singing voice. So Rich Mullins, and so I was looking on the internet. Surely someone put a screen door on a submarine, and there's a picture of one. It looks like the Beatles submarine somehow. <laughs> but, uh, you know, faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. What good is a screen door on a submarine? Not very good, except a good conversation piece, and that's about it, I guess I'd say. So that's what Rich Mullins says. So, one more illustration to help you understand what faith is in this passage. I need a volunteer. Anybody. Anybody. Bueller. Bueller. Kendall, you want to come up and volunteer? All right, come on up. How did I know you'd volunteer for this? Bill, you got out of it this morning. I have my little sight. All right, so, faith. Here we have a chair. Do you think this chair will hold you? Are you sure? You don't know me that well, do you? <laughs> J.D. was my nickname in college. The prophet of... Come on, J.D. The prophet of... <laughs> the prophet of... Did you know my nickname in college was the prophet of prank? You didn't know that? Well, now you do. Anyhow, do you, have, do you believe that this chair will hold you up? Let's see if you believe it. Go ahead. Test it out. Sit in it. See if it will hold you.
You're right. <laughs> All right, that's it. That's the illustration. Thank you, Ken. Give Kendall a hand. Uh, Kendall is Kendall is in youth group. She loves to, you'll read the Bible. You'll pray out loud, right? You're, you, she loves a volunteer. She loves God and his word. So get to know Kendall, by the way. Um, but faith, that's a good illustration of faith is some people will believe it holds them, you know, but to actually, you don't really have that, that belief is not seen until you sit in the chair and it does hold you. And the more you know me, the less likely you would be to sit in my chair. <laughs> but I, I decided not to do that this morning. All right, so let's dig into the scripture this morning. Uh, number one, real faith actively works. Verse 14 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The answer, of course, is no. That cannot save him. Otherwise, the, the, the question begs for a particular answer here got to understand the context, primarily written to Jewish believers. Judaism in that day was, was become, had become a cold, hard religion of tradition. It is that way today among the Orthodox and the Hasidic Jews. They have rules. They, they know God's law, or they did. All right, so here's God's 613 laws. What does it mean not to work on the Sabbath day? So they came up with more laws to create a good, safe fence so that people didn't sin in that area. And that created more laws depending on the new rabbi, and sometimes people like to make new, new, new things up, you know. So they add to that. And before long, you had these huge traditions that the Jewish people were following. Some of those traditions went against the original purpose of the tradition. It went against what the scriptures taught. So one story of Jesus that I love is he is in a synagogue one Sabbath day, and there is a man with a withered hand. So Jesus is like, oh, man, this guy's got a withered hand. I'm going to heal his hand. And the religious leaders are like, not on the Sabbath day you shouldn't. That's a day we, we don't work on, it, and that's work to heal someone. We're, we would probably think this in our own heads. We would think, those guys are ridiculous. Of course it's good to heal someone's hand on the Sabbath day, right? Um, so Jesus, knowing that um, and knowing their intent, their tradition clouded them from faith that works. Um, their religious, religiosity stopped them from doing what was right. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus healed the guy anyhow. And the cold religious people were like, we got to kill this guy. Can you believe he healed a guy on the Sabbath day? How dare he do something, you know? And so Jesus has tried to disciple these religious people through this issue, but every time he did, they just got angrier and angrier. Their faith or their religion was empty. It didn't have, there was, it was no good. It didn't have any works associated with that. That's kind of the, the thing going on here in the background. Okay, verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, brother or sister, particularly, you know, body of Christ here, but other people I would assume as well, and one of you says to them, oh, you're hungry? Oh, you don't have any food? 
Oh, you're starving? Your kids are... Go in peace, brother. Be warmed and filled. And you don't give them the things they need for the body. What good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now here's where we get into a problem. Um, some commentaries hate that phrase. They struggle with it. It's dead. They're like, well, it doesn't really mean dead. It means it's just weak or... No, the word here is necros. It means deader than a doornail. It is a corpse of a faith. Um, it is a person who says they have faith, but is really just the walking dead spiritually. Walking around, they're not really alive spiritually. Faith without works is empty. It is stone cold dead. Not alive. Not living. But someone will say, yeah, well you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. This is a key phrase as you meditate on this and think through this. Show me your faith apart from your works. Can you do that? Can you show someone your faith apart from works? How, how do you know if someone believes? They believe. They do so. They, they, they walk their talk, right? I will show you my faith by my works. Number two, belief about or believing that something is true and faith in are completely different. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, if you would, please. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. I had a friend who claimed to be Catholic, but they were really a secular humanist. And um, uh, they were so frustrated at Christianity and the Bible. Um, they couldn't understand how a Christian can simply believe and accept Jesus and then do whatever they wanted to do. I loved his frustration. Because I've thought the same thing myself. In fact, I've thought the exact same thing about myself. How can I call myself a Christian? I'm still doing this dumb stuff here, you know. Um, so I really respect him. So I took him to Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9 was my answer to that question. Let me read it to you. If I can find it. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. And that is where most churches stop. And that bothers me. And it bothered my, my friend as well. That was his issue is, why are we stopping there? Here's verse 10. For we are his workmanship. So he's doing the work in us, right? Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in those good works. I love that passage. I hate when a church stops at verse 9. I love when they continue to verse 10 because it paints a proper picture instead of a lopsided picture. Um, then James goes on to an illustration that if you read this just real quick and you don't think through it, it's like, why in the world did he give this illustration? Verse 19, here's his illustration. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And they shudder at least, you know. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What he's saying is, here is demons know. They fully believe. They are fully aware that Jesus is God. That Jesus is the anointed one, the Savior. That he's the Son of God. That he's the Son of Man. That he's sinless. They know all this stuff. Demons do. Why aren't they in heaven? Because they don't trust him. They don't rest in him. They're opposed to him. You know, so, so James is having some fun here. He's like, wow, you're like a demon. You're, you believe you, your theology is as good as a... Now, if you went somewhere, went to some Christian, other Christian, and you sat in a Bible study, and you looked at them and said, man, you're pretty good with theology. You're just about as good as a demon. You know, what, how, how, how do you think that person would take it? All right, that's your assignment this week. The application, go, go, go say that. No. Um, that's what he's saying here. Wow, really impressive. You believe what's right. What do you believe in? So, hang on, verse 21 again. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac at the altar? This illustration of him being justified, which means to be declared righteous by works. So is that going against the whole scripture that teaches us through faith? Is it now a works-based salvation? I don't think so. Um, what is he saying here? I think he's saying faith is not faith until it moves in faith. How, what, at what point did Abraham have faith? Trust God. God said, go sacrifice your son, your only son, which of course is a sin, right? Um, God says, go sacrifice your son. Or is it a sinner? Um, so, Abraham's faith happens when he said, okay, Lord, I'm going to go. And he took that step. That's when faith was realized. Until then, it was theory that he had, that God is true. and God. It was when he decided to follow the Lord that you see that faith um, come alive, in, that you can witness that faith come alive in him. Verse 22. You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. His belief in God was the key. That trust that he had in God was the key. Verse 24. Anybody study Luther, Martin Luther here, by the way? This is the verse that really killed Martin Luther. Anybody ever hear of Martin Luther? Raise your hand. Yeah, I wrote my master's paper on Martin Luther. I was really intrigued by him when I was going for my master's degree. And um, this is the verse that, what, what, I don't know if you know this, but Martin Luther, he read James. He goes, ah, this is an epistle straw. This is empty. Not part of scripture. And he got rid of that sucker out of scripture as long as he did, uh, I think there were seven books total uh, that Luther's like, nope, don't like that one. Nope, don't like that one. Nope. And he got rid of about seven books in the Bible um, because he just didn't like how it gelled with the rest of the scripture. In my opinion, he wasn't able to reconcile the passages. And here's why I think so. Luther was a Catholic teacher. And um, his 
desire, he would see a lot of corruption in the Catholic Church. About 99 of them, to be precise. <laughs> all right. And uh, so Luther, seeing all these problems, like uh, there was one phrase back then that uh, said, when a penny in the cuffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. And so what that taught is if you, the more you give to the church, the more likely it is for your family member to leave purgatory. And, and you know, show, in other words, the Catholic Church back then was saying, show us the money, and honey, and then, um, you know, your loved ones will be saved. Aren't they worth it to you? You know, so Luther's seeing this manipulation, and it's frustrating him. And he's seeing, oh, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and it's frustrating him. So finally, he's like, you know, I'm so frustrated. So he goes to these church doors over in Germany, and he takes this 99th thesis, okay, these 99th thing. Here's 99 problems I have with the church, all right? He loved the church. He didn't want to become a Protestant. He wanted the Catholic church to reform and to be a biblical establishment. So he nails those 99 theses to the wall, and uh, he got in big trouble, and he thus the kind of the start of the what's called the Protestant protesting reformation reforming of the body of Christ and and so Luther was very gung ho on faith alone in fact Romans 117 was his life verse we go from faith to faith and he was so tunnel vision focused on faith alone when he came to James accepted by the early church's scripture he thought, I cannot reconcile. He had this tunnel vision on faith alone. And I would agree with faith alone that, that, that uh, saved you. But I love James because it balances it out and makes you more of a uh, understanding God's ways in the thing. So here's verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Point number three, we'll get into that a little bit. So is it justification through faith or is it justification through works? Verse 25, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? The assumed answer is, of course, yes. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now a good Bible student, a bad Bible student, takes a verse and it makes a whole theology on it. You know, and when I would teach people this, I would I like the verse women shall be women shall be saved through childbearing. You guys know that everybody is that your life verse? You know? Lori, is that your life verse? You know, I'm like, I, that's kind of a fun one because no one seems to make a, a doctrine on that one, of course. You know, a good Bible student doesn't just take one verse and just change all of scripture the fit of verse. Um, scripture is a part of a whole, and we let Scripture help us to understand Scripture. You know, and this is one of these verses where Luther's looking at it, th- seeing other Scriptures, and thinking, I cannot figure this thing out. This is tough here. I think it's pretty clear in Scripture. You are justified by faith. The problem is with how we define faith, is what I think. It is not a religious checkbox. It is God moving in you to believe both about him and believe in him. And then acting on that belief with a growing trust. 
put it simply, if you want a bumper sticker on this one, faith works. And it's all about God's grace. And it's all started from God. The faith and the desire to work all comes from him. Why? Because he's the one to receive the glory and not us for our faith or our works. So what is the Lord saying here? Um, the next slide has, go ahead and skip that next one. Um, there's some, we're going to get in a couple of these verses up here, but there's some cross-references. If you guys want to do further study and really dig into the issue this week, I didn't put those in the bulletin. Copy those down. Those kind of specifically address faith versus works, if you want to dig deeper into that. And we'll leave that slide up for just a little bit while I'm talking. Uh, feel free to copy down. But I want to get into a couple passages that kind of lay this out. The first one is Acts 16. Turn to Acts 16, verse 13 through 15. Youth, you should have this memorized because we did this passage last Sunday night, right? Remember this one? Lydia? Remember, did you memorize it? Sucker. <laughs> That's okay. All right, Acts 16, 13 through 15, the story of Lydia. Let me read it to you. So Paul, Paul and his posse are going around, and, um, and on the Sabbath day, we were outside, he says, the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So they're looking on a Sabbath day, Saturday, they're looking for a place of prayer to go to, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, Greece, a seller of purple goods. Do you remember that part? You know, um, uh, she sold some fine linen. Purple was the color of royalty, and she had it going on. Good, good purple good seller. You want to buy some purple clothes? Go see Lydia. It says here, she was a worshiper of God. What's interesting is, at this point, she was an unconverted worshiper of God. I think that's really fascinating. She worshiped God, she feared God, but she didn't yet believe. Maybe that's where, maybe that's where you are at this morning. Then here's what it says. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Who opened her heart? The Lord opened her heart. You see God taking the initiative. So if you believe and you're trusting in Jesus, who opened your heart? The Lord did. Man, does that make me excited, and that brings me a lot of comfort when I'm struggling with some things. So that's Lydia. The Lord opened her heart so that she would believe. Maybe that's a prayer that we can use for our family members. Lord, I pray that you would open up so-and-so's heart that they would believe. You know, that's a good way to pray for a person. Then you see in Acts 10.38, open up to that, Acts 10.38, something really interesting about Jesus here. Acts 10.38 says this, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Jesus went about doing good. He was well known as a man who did good deeds. May our faith be well known. When someone looks at us in our lives, may they, be, may they say, man, they are a friend of God. They are a special one. 
they are so good. They do a lot of good deeds. Let us be like Jesus. Go around doing good deeds. And Brad, you talked about that earlier. There's guys who do mechanical work, housework, buy groceries, pray with people, visit people. I love when I visit someone, and someone from the church has already beat me to go visit someone. Man, is that awesome. You know who does that? Because he's not here. I'll, I'll talk about him behind his back. Rick Payne. He's really good at that. He, he, he loves to visit and loves people. Jamie, am I right about that? Rick is a good man. What an evidence of a walk with Christ that he has. There's many others in our church that are good. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. This is the last one we'll look at. Open up to Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. I was teaching um, FCA at Southmont this week, and this passage goes hand-in-hand with the James passage. And uh, I want to encourage you and challenge you with this passage, a familiar one of the sheep and the goats. See what you glean from this when we read it. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. In my opinion, in my perspective, this happens, I believe that, uh, and there's good men who believe, good men and women who believe differently. I believe there's the rapture of the church where Christ comes and takes us with himself. I believe that then there's a seven-year period of tribulation on earth. And then I believe that Jesus returns, judges, and sets up his thousand-year reign on earth and ultimately reigns forevermore here on earth. That's my personal conviction. There's some people who have different opinions, but they're just wrong. I'm just kidding. Uh, there's some good, <laughs> there's some good <laughs> different views on that. I have flip-flopped a little bit on the, on the rapture thing, but, uh, um, but anyhow, I believe this is a time when he returns after the tribulation and uh, before the millennial reign, um, from what I'm seeing. Um, okay, let me keep reading. Verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Boy, at Southmont, someone asked me, why do you call the non-believers goats? Like, I don't know why you call them. Maybe because they're honoring. Maybe, you know, some of you guys may have goats here. You, you know exactly why, but I don't know. Okay, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will, will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the, what's that word there? I'm having a hard time. Eternal. Both are going to an eternal destination. The, the other group, on his left are going to eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? Did not minister to you. Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And someone asked, so it is works that saves you. What does that last phrase say, but the righteous into eternal life? Righteous people do good things, right? It wasn't like they become righteous. No, the righteous, the sheep, were so moved because they were new creations in Christ that they did good works unto the Lord by loving on and caring for one another. In conclusion, I like to ask, so what? Where do you stand with Jesus? Do you, like the demons, believe that he is the Son of God, the Savior, God incarnate, the anointed one, and that's it? Unlike the demons, do you trust in him and him alone to save you? And not only that, but to be the one to lead your life as well? When did, for your life personally, when did the transition of belief about become trust in? Peter's a great example. Lord, I'm going to walk you on the water. Gets in the water, sees the waves. Plunk. Did you know that Jesus or Peter got on the water a second time? And I think it's John 21, maybe John 21, where he sees Jesus. Give me my cloak. He puts on his cloak and he jumps out of that boat. When did your belief about become trust in him? If you have a trust in Jesus, that trust will produce a desire for going around doing good called the Holy Spirit at work in your life and walking in obedient faith from faith to faith like Luther, that verse Luther liked. Number three, just as Jesus went around doing good works, so may we be known for this as well that we would be able to shine a light, not on ourselves, but on him, on Jesus. So others would come to trust in him, and they would be saved as well. So all that to say, faith works. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, I'm still amazed that you use humans. We're all, we're all frail, all broken, all imperfect. All got issues in that. But you love us enough to redeem us. You love us enough to open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to you. It's the deep truths of your word. Oh, Father, help us to be known for our good weeks, our good works. Not that they would say, wow, that Joe's really a nice guy, but that they would be drawn to Jesus and that they would be saved, Lord. Help us also bring that message to people. And Father, I pray for our hearts here that you would help us to discern and know where do we stand with you? Are we in Christ or are we still sitting out there deciding what we believe? Help us to discern that and help us to move to him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
would you stand with us, please?